All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started. So somebody winds up uh, turning in. Uh, we had, uh, um, from what I heard, we had a good night at uh, National Night Out. Uh, so um, that was a that was a pleasant uh, thing to have that taken care of, and um, um, and uh, got some tracks out, and um, again, uh, you know, made some contacts with some people, and that was good. Um, but uh, but again, it was. Uh, the mosquitoes weren't too bad, from what I hear. Yes, no, maybe, sort of, kind of. I guess they all went after Sharon Gukin instead, is what she was saying. But, <clears throat> but uh, yeah. So, um, thank you for uh, those that were out there doing that. It's uh, uh, much appreciated. But uh, let's go ahead and get back with what we've been talking about here now on Wednesday nights. As I said, not necessarily. Uh, a series per se, but I guess it's kind of becoming a little bit of that. But it's uh, kind of uh, it's it's talking about uh, how we go about uh, change in our life. Um, if anybody is uh, a Christian that is desiring to grow in Christ, then they're going to realize that at some point in time there is a behavior that is not matching what is scriptural, is not matching godly, Christ-like behavior, and they're going to have to change it. And sometimes those uh, behaviors can be rooted and entrenched. Um, you know, obviously, you take a look at uh, King David's life. Uh, he wasn't didn't have a habit of uh, adultery and murdering people to cover it up. It was a one-time thing, but he took it very seriously because he understood that there was a problem in the heart that caused that. <clears throat> And this is kind of what we're looking at going through this. And we left off a little bit last week talking somewhat about, uh, uh, second Corinthians, or excuse me, second Timothy three, uh, 16 and 17. And we're going to get into that a little bit more, Lord willing, tonight, which kind of walks through a little bit of a four step, uh, process with, uh, two main points about what scripture does for us. But before we get to that, one thing that we want to take a look at is the, the, the key part of why that change is, is, uh, needs to be made and, and how it's going to be made. And, um, one of the key things that we understand is it's all about the vertical first. And, and I'll explain that in just a moment. But, um, there's a specific way we have to look at things. And when we look at things, if you will, in a horizontal humanistic way or a societal way, it's not going to produce the change that is going to be lasting and a change that is going to have uh, uh, an effect that it's, uh, um, accepted by God. So we have to take a look at that vertical, uh, relationship first, but before we do that, let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer and then we'll get going. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the time that we have here, uh, this evening. I thank you again for just an opportunity, Lord, to study your word and to see what it is we need to do in our lives, <clears throat> Lord, to continue to glorify you, give you praise and honor, for all that you've done for us and all that you continue to do. And Lord, I just pray that uh, tonight you just be with each one of us, that our hearts would be very soft and tender, ready to receive, ready to listen, that uh, anything that is in there, Lord, that uh, maybe the Holy Spirit points out, that we would take very serious consideration of that, that we would not set it aside, but Lord, we would do exactly what your word tells us. We'd receive that, we'd receive the scripture that's associated with it, that we would actually have a change that produces the right kind of result for you. 
And again, Lord, I just thank you again for all that you've done for us and above all the salvation that we have through you that even makes that change possible. And Lord, again, I pray you just be with me in my mouth and my voice that, Lord, this time would be glorifying unto you with all that is said through your word. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So turn to a couple of passages and let's go to Matthew chapter 22 first. Matthew chapter 22. And uh, in Matthew chapter 22, we we have um, this um, uh, this lawyer in verse 35 that says, "Then one of them, and and just again to 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 get an understanding of who this lawyer is, he's he's classified in the previous verse with uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees." <clears throat> But he's specifically a Pharisee, and he says, Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, and saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. One, uh, excuse me, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So, we, we, we see this as a very familiar passage that we've read a few times before, but it clearly articulates that any change or anything that is going to be done has to be God-centered first. Uh, if it's a change because we want to change, that's not sufficient. Uh, if it's a change because somebody in our life wants us to change, that's not sufficient. If it's a change because society wants us to change, that's not sufficient. It has to be a God-centered change. Uh, we see here very clearly that as Christ sets a principle, it's God first and then someone else. So when we look at this and we look at change and somebody will want to make a change in their life, if they're trying to make a change that is going to be uh, something that is going to help other people. Let's just take, for example, uh, a, uh, something that is just, I, I mean, it, it's a plague, it's a problem. Let's say somebody is a shoplifter. I mean, we, we, we've probably all heard them or seen them now as nowadays. Uh, I don't know how many times we've just seen people go into stores, fill up carts and then just walk out. Um, and again, their loss prevention people aren't chasing them because they don't want to get injured and so on and so forth. And, and it's irritating to us. And, and if we were ever to get a hold of that person for a moment and sit down with them and try to reason with them, and we were to say, well, you understand that stealing is bad. And the person goes, well, yeah, I, I get that. But I need these things so I can do it. And, and you're like, well, okay, but if you go out and get a job, then you can afford these things and you don't have to worry about going to jail. You're, and, and, I mean, that's kind of like a, a, a rational, logical thought process, right? And we, we explain it to them that way. We're explaining it to them from the second part of the commandment, not the first part of the commandment. There has to be an understanding that it's a violation of the law of God first. If it's a violation of the law of God and, and we, we get that part, then the next part is going to be very simple when we start talking about how are we going to go about uh, making a change for um, uh, for the Lord, and that will have a side effect that it will affect other people. If you love God first, then it's going to be a lot easier to love someone else. I mean, that's just, that's just a given. That's just a given. Take a look at a, another passage. Let's go over to the book of Mark this time. 
And specifically, we're going to turn to, to, to Mark chapter 12. Um, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 and uh, verse 30 is uh, about where we're going to start here. And it, and it says this, uh, um, again, the same passage. Let's back up here a little bit to, to verse uh, 28. It says, one of the scribes came. And having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And he combines them together here a little bit. And, and, and interestingly enough, I want you to see this, the rest of this dialogue in verse two or 32. It says, and the scribe said unto him, well, master, thou hast said the truth for there is one God and there is none other but he and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt, uh, 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 burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any question. So we see that there is this understanding that exists that um, when people are looking for some type of change, they they are going to readily acknowledge that. People that are involved in the scripture, people that um, have a work with the Bible, uh, read it and have a uh, desire to know it, as this individual here did. He was reading through that and he, he, he made a comment and he said, yeah, that's, that's exactly the right thing to say. That's exactly it. Now, again, obviously, there's a, there's a bit of a obtuseness here with him about who he's talking to. But the same thing is very true when we look at an individual that reads the Word of God. This is going to be a standard conclusion. So when we go over to Romans 12 and we see that we're not supposed to have our minds conformed to this world, then that means that we can't have a worldly mindset of thinking. What it has to be is a godly mindset. And, and, and we find that here very specifically. This is exactly what the same guy, what the guy was communicating. He was saying, yeah, I, I, I know this. And God says, you're really close then. You're really close. Take a look at another passage. Go over to the book of 1 John. <clears throat> Go over to 1 John and let's take a look at a couple passages in chapter 5, or excuse me, chapter 4 first. 1 John chapter 4. <clears throat> First John chapter four, and again, this is uh, that chapter that really defines what love is, and that's what we were just talking about here. In verse eight, it says, "He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love." So the very first thing that that, that we see with that verse that is is plainly evident is is a person that lacks love is a person that does not love God, is a person that is, is, uh, is, is outside of him. Why? Because the very definition of what love is, is God. 
the more you love God, the more you get to know him, the more you, you, you get to see his love. You get to see it in your life. You get to see it in the lives of other individuals. You get to see it expressed and demonstrated over and over and over again. But the, the, the clear thing is the more that we know about God, the more that relationship is going to have a, a different effect. Now, as we go through all of this here, we come over to chapter 5 of uh, of First uh, John. It says in verse 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that, uh, that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. So <coughs> one of the things that we see here is he begins to tie this idea of obedience to love. And that's why I often say when somebody just does something out of the course of, well, I have to do it, that's a compliance attitude. You're doing it because you're required to. Obedience is an action of love that is demonstrated towards the person that is asking you to do that. And here, here's the big thing is that when we go through the book of First John, he's saying, look, if, if you can't love the brothers and sisters in Christ, then there's a problem with your heart. There's a problem with the heart. And furthermore, there's such a problem with the heart that it comes back to the relationship with God. You just don't know him. Because God is love. You're going to naturally express that. So, I mean, we begin to see that there's that vertical relationship that God was wanting with us, uh, first and foremost, before we start trying to change anything else with anyone else that's here on earth. So as we think about this very clearly, um, we realize that the biblical change has to take both of these individuals into account. God and others. <clears throat> Turn over to 1 Peter. We're right there in the close vicinity of 1 Peter. <coughs> 1 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> and uh um uh let's see here hold on a second let me make sure i got the right one here is that the right one yes that is okay first peter chapter three um it, it's going to, to demonstrate something that, that is that relationship with god and the relationship with others so as an example in verse seven um, I thought it was verse 17 when I was looking at my notes, but it says verse 7. It says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. <clears throat> so here's part of the problem. We realize that um, the relationships that we have in this life can affect us spiritually. Now, this is, this is one of the most important ones that when we start looking at the marriage relationships. Uh, why? Is because people do not under, necessarily understand. I, I, I've seen people read so much into this verse that it's become almost blasphemous. You know, when it talks about being a weaker vessel, again, it's talking about that they have the same, uh, same job as the, the, the husband does. We're all vessels used for the Lord. 
we're all filled with whatever he fills us with, or depending sometimes what we fill ourselves with. So if we're all filled, you know, with uh, with what God wants, and there's scripture that's there, and we're listening to the Holy Spirit, and there's the fruit of the Spirit, those things. But when it comes to the weaker vessel, it's not a put-down. It's just a different use. As I've explained before, I have an old plastic army canteen that I've had for years. I mean, decades. Decades. And that thing I is seen, it, it is seen far more action than anything uh, that I have. I think that's probably one of the oldest pieces that I have. <clears throat> and that thing has been on tops of mountains and, you know, wading through stuff and, you know, um, it's been beat, landed on, all sorts of stuff. And it's, it's great because it's a nice sturdy plastic. It hardly deforms. And if it does deform, you just give it a good push and it pops right back into place. Sometimes that's the way guys are. You know, they can take a little bit of a rough and tumble and things of that nature. But also at the same time, its main purpose is what? Carry water. Well, so is the same thing of a a glass pitcher. Just one happens to be a different material, but they both serve the same purpose. But the way that they do it functionally is different. So God has different uh, uh, roles for, for men and women in the marriage has different roles for how they behave. But that being said, here we find that he's saying that, that there has to be honor given unto the wife. The husband has to give honor. This is, this is, this is a great commandment. And a lot of times guys don't get this. Because I guarantee you, if you were to ask, you know, five different guys, you'd probably get five different answers of what they think honor is. Well, what's scriptural honor? Well, let's go back and start talking about uh, honor thy father and thy mother. That thy days may be long upon the earth, which has no qualification for age. No qualification for age. So whether it's like me where it, where my dad is uh, 73 now, and I turn 59 at the end of this year. 49, sorry. I get... <laughs> Fours and fives, I tell you, folks, fours and fives. <clears throat> Dyslexia will come out on those every single time. 49 years old. Um, I, I still honor my dad. I still honor my dad. Why? Because that's a commandment of God. If I love, if I love God and I want to do his commandments, then that's going to be one of the top ones I keep. Because it shows and demonstrates to God that I care about what he just told me to do and what he said. So I see, you know, we, we, we see these things, but the one thing that I wanted to get at here is in the last part of it, he says very clearly here, he says that your prayers be not hindered. And what I wanted to point out is that sometimes in our spiritual relationships that we have, because we have a problem with obeying God, it can cause a problem Elsewhere in our life, it can cause a problem with uh, with uh, uh, um, with with our prayer life. I've had people sit there and say, "Well, I, I pray and pray and pray and pray, and it's like it's not going anywhere." All right, we'll just start taking a look at the rest of your life. We'll start asking some questions. What what, what are your prayers? What are your prayers? I've had people say, you know, they've, they've got certain things that they're, they're, they're do, dealing with a certain sin, maybe. 
and they'll say, well, I, I, I keep praying to God and, and nothing's happening. And I'll specifically ask the question, well, what, what type of prayer are you praying? And I understand, you know, prayers between you and God. I get that, but, but just bear with me, you know, what type of prayer? And they'll say, well, the prayer is, God, please stop me from doing it. Like, that's not the right prayer. I mean, what do you think? He's going to come down and have an angel like over there with Balaam? He's going to stand in front of you? Prevent you from doing it? No. The prayer is, is Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. I want to change my heart to mirror what you want because I know that the change in my heart will make a change in my life that will produce the right kind of change that is outward. If there's no inward change, then there's going to be no outward change that is going to be uh, pleasing to God. All you're doing is you're creating more pharisaicalism in your life. That, that and, and that's an issue. So we, we, we understand that both people have to be taken into account. We see, you know, some things happening here where a husband and wife and they're dwelling together and, and there can be some friction and things that happen with that. Well, again, there, there's got to be this understanding that first and foremost, that commandment that's given there in that verse is to God. It's to God first, not to the wife. And people will take that sometimes and they'll read that verse and then they put the wife up on the pedestal. And the wife doesn't belong on a pedestal or on a throne of your heart. A husband doesn't belong there. Children don't belong there. Who belongs there? Lord Jesus Christ. Him and him alone. Because unto him is all given all glory, honor, and power. Amen. So we realize that that is the key part that we have to begin to think about when it comes into this. We, we, we have to take into account not only, you know, just man, but we have to take into primarily account God. If God is ignored in the process, the results are going to be temporary. They're going to be temporary. Uh, turn over Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6. It becomes all show. It's all show and it's no heart. It's all show and it's no heart. <clears throat> Pharisees were good about putting on a show. Man, they were great at it. They had that down pat. They were like the very first Hollywood, if you will. In in Matthew chapter 6, it says, Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may very, uh, that they may have a glory of men, verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thy alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and the street corners. They may be seen of men, verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, uh, enter into thy closet, and when thou shut thy door, pray to the, thy father which is in secret, and thy father which is in secret, seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Now, now these verses right here, and I, I want to clarify, the last two is not talking about open prayer. I've had people argue and say, well, that means that we should never have open prayer anywhere at any point in time. Uh, if that's the case, then let's see here. 
Uh, Moses violated it. David violated it. Solomon violated it. Um, we just keep going through the list of Paul and Peter and everyone else, including Jesus Christ himself. So we obviously understand that's not the context. The context is found that it may be seen of men. The motive, the motive, the context is motive, not the action. And this is what this whole subject is about in these six verses. It's the motive of the heart. If if the process is to make a change without including God, then we're going to have a failure of it. And what we do is we create a hypocrite or a hypocritical pattern in our life. So if a real change wants to take place, then we have to make sure we're avoiding hypocrisy. We don't change for the sake of seeing, being seen by somebody. And that's, uh, that's one of the most ridiculous things. But that's what people do. That's what people do. I mean, the, the, the world is, is absolutely littered with this stuff anymore. I mean, how many people do you have out there on how many different social media platforms, uh, talking about themselves and the things that they do and all this stuff and blah, 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 and all this, you know, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And then somebody says, <laughs> I swear, next person that does say something, I'm probably going to have to re- refrain from this. <laughs> you guys can tell me whether this is wise or unwise, but next person that says, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Then I'm going to ask him, do you have a Facebook account? <laughs> next door? Uh, Instagram? Twitter? TikTok? Anything like that? hypocrite it's a hypocrite and we see that hypocrisy going on throughout throughout the rest of the world uh when they try to make changes that are based off solely fleshly things god not being involved jump down a little bit further in the chapter into verse 16 (coughs) verse 16 he says moreover when you fast be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face, that thou appear not as men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which shall seeth in secret, shall reward openly. So here he is talking about three main subjects that he brings up the same situation about. Fasting, prayer, and just giving. And those were the things that a lot of people were making big to-dos, <coughs> pardon me, big to-dos about that shouldn't have been made big to-dos. Why? Because it then focuses on the person rather than focusing on God. It's an outward show so they will be recognized, but it is, they're not doing it for the Lord. When you fast, you should be fasting. Nobody should know you fast. I mean, you know, sometimes it may come out, okay, that's great. But there should be a periods of time where you just, you, you, you fast and you're praying for something and you're, you're, you're seeking the Lord's face in that matter and, and, and you want to be clear on it. Fasting is a very important thing. Prayer, prayer, prayer is not to be taken lightly in any way, shape, or form. Prayer and fasting go hand in hand. It's kind of hard to separate the two. 
But when you get to the, the part about giving, you know, everybody wants to let everybody know what, why, so they can look like they're important. But it's the relationship with God. It's the motive behind why we're doing it. If we're doing it for ourselves, if we're doing it for someone else, then we're going to have a problem. That change isn't going to be effective. And we're going to sit down six months afterwards and we're going to go, well, why didn't the change stick? Well, number one, there wasn't the right glue of the Holy Spirit involved. There was no real true heart change. Take a look at chapter 15 of the book of Matthew. Chapter 15. And it uh, comes here in in, in verse 2. The Pharisees uh, start attacking Jesus uh, by attacking his disciples. And they say in verse 2, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. And that was a big thing. Now, look, we're not talking about sanitary. You know, if you're going out there and you're decided you need to do some work on your septic system, probably a good idea to wash your hands before you have your sandwich, okay? Um, just saying that. <clears throat> but he said in verse 3, he says, But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Now, here's the issue. He's, they're saying, why are they transgressing the traditions of men? And God says, why are you transgressing, transgressing the traditions of God? Because that's more important. That's more important than the flesh. I mean, he goes through and he starts talking to all of them uh, through this. And, and he says... Uh, just jumping down here a little bit into, uh, verse seven, he says, ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah uh, prophesy of you saying the people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain, they do worship me teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. And I will tell you many times what you hear in a lot of contemporary churches today, and specifically the progressive church, formerly known as the emergent church is a humanistic change pattern. It's about the feel good to make you feel good so you don't feel bad about yourself so that you'll walk out of there with a smile on your face that somehow, some way is going to magically take you throughout the rest of the week. It doesn't. It doesn't. One little, you know, if you will, pick me up, uh, you know, rah, rah, team, go, 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 cheerleading session isn't going to help you. I mean, you ever, you ever think about that? You got those people out there and they're out there, they're, they're cheering on their teams and they're screaming and they're yelling. You think that does it any good if the team really is horrible? I'll give you a perfect example. Anybody in here follow baseball a little bit? What's one of the worst teams that has ever existed that is, I mean, you barely even recognize they exist? Pittsburgh Pirates. When's the last time they won anything? They got some of the, they got one of the best facilities that's ever existed. They've got dedicated diehard fans that will follow them fanatically, almost as bad as Cub fans. But Pirate fans are even worse. 
because there is there is no hope for that team <laughs> and 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 they they just they just don't win but man they're out there cheering them cheering them cheering them cheering them does that help them win a game and it's not edification and encouragement because those are very differently when we look at them from the word of god there's something different between if you will a cheer Versus actual edification. We'll find that in scripture as we move on a little bit with this. But, but, but here's the issue that he says. He says, these guys, you know what all they do? They're just doing everything with, uh, with their own flesh. They, all, all they do is they, 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 they talk about God a lot. Just because somebody talks about God a lot doesn't mean that they know God and they have a relationship with him. You know where that comes from? Or, or, or somebody knowing that? Is your actual actions that you do that demonstrate your love for God. If there's no demonstration for, for, for God in obeying his commandments, even if you don't like them, following his will, even if you disagree with it, actively seeking him, even when you don't want to, All of those things right there, that shows a different person. Because it shows a person that is setting their flesh aside and saying, I do not want this controlling me. What I want is I want a spiritual direction in my life. If I don't have spiritual direction in my life, then this will never amount to anything for God. But people think that somehow, some way, their flesh is going to amount something to God because they, they follow a religious set of rules. There's a lot of people that follow a religious set of rules. Let's be honest. The average Muslim prays more than the average Christian does. They're supposed to pray three times a day, but they actually pray more than that if they're a deeply devoted Muslim. And they read the Quran far more than most Christians read the Bible. So we begin to see that, that, that yeah, somebody can act religious all day long, but it doesn't mean anything. Why? Because that person that is devoted to Islam it isn't devoted to God. They're devoted to something that is a falsehood and a lie. And as Solomon clearly calls it, it's vanity. Vanity. <clears throat> Take down here a little bit uh, further in this same chapter, in chapter 15. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> He, 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 he says in verse 10, and he called the multitude and said unto them, hear and understand, not that which goeth in the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, knowest what, that thou, uh, uh, knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? At some point in time, I just, you know, I can almost hear Christ just saying, who cares? But, but he responds carefully here. 
He says, but he answereth and said, every plant which it, which my heavenly Father hath not planted, <coughs> excuse me, shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. Even if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall in the ditch. So basically when he said, who cares? Let God take care of them. Let God take care of them. And somebody come to me one time and said that it was my ministry to go and tell other pastors where they were in heresy. And I was like, can you show me that from scripture, specifically with my name? They're like, well, no, it's just that that's what you're supposed to do. That No, that's what you want me to do. And there was a motive behind it. But what we see here is in verse 15, then Peter, then answered Peter and said unto him, declare unto us this parable. He didn't get it. And Jesus said, are ye also, um, yet without understanding? Do you not understand that whatsoever entereth into the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out in the draught? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from uh, forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, faultless witness, uh, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. They were saying it was sinful for them to have their sandwich, and that was a violation of God. But the God that they were talking about was the tradition of elders. So what he says here is he said, the most important thing is the stuff that comes out of people's mouths. Why? Because that reveals truly what's in the heart. Because what's in the heart eventually comes out of the mouth. That's the way it works. People today try to try to sometimes cover it up and they'll say, oh, it was just a Freudian slip or something like that. Really didn't mean it. It was just my subconscious that just decided to let that fly. But it really, you know, it had no meaning to me. No, it did. It did. Why do you think God says that he takes every idle word into account? Why does he say the word fitly spoken about the value of it. Why does he say that, that uh, uh, we have to be uh, mindful how we answer people? Because these are all things that, again, are going to reveal what our heart is after. See, these Pharisees, you know what they were thinking? They were thinking what was good for man. What was good for man? But what's often is good for man is self-satisfying. Self-satisfying. Turn over to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. We use these passages frequently to to demonstrate the change that should take place in a person's life. He goes through a few of these. But in verse 22, he gets to the core principle of this. He says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. He said, so this is what has to happen. You have to take and put off the sin, and you have to put on Christ. You have to put away the desires and the things that are sinful in your heart, and you have to replace it with good godly behavior and desires. So he goes into a little bit more detail here as he as he gets into this. He says in verse 26, um, excuse me, verse uh, um, 
Uh, verse 25, he says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So if somebody gets into the point of where they lie, and they just stop lying, that's only for the benefit of man. That's only for the benefit of man. Great, so they stop telling lies. Well, now they need to start speaking truth. Now, here's the hard part. When somebody has lied so long, it's hard to take anything that that person says truthfully. So what do they have to do? They have to analyze every action, every word, and every impulse of their heart to make sure that it lines up scripturally, biblically. They have to bring the flesh into submission. What they have to begin to do, as he says here in verse 25, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. In order to understand that commandment in verse 25, you have to understand the importance of charity in 1 Corinthians 13, being members one of another. And understanding that concept leads us very clearly into this concept where he's talking about how we go about doing this, and he says we have to speak every man truth. The only thing that we have that is real truth in this life is this. That's it. You can't trust anything that's on the internet. Good grief. It's ridiculous. Everything that's out there is, is, is manipulated in one way, shape, or form. So we have to understand that God's word is truth and it never fails and it never changes. So we have to start there. We have to start with biblical truths. We have to accept those biblical truths. And we have to obey those biblical truths to be able to communicate those biblical truths. You can't communicate a biblical truth if you don't follow it yourself. That again is hypocrisy. He goes down a little bit further in verse 28. He says, let him his soul uh, steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. This is one thing that is very critically important. Very critically important. People will sit there and they'll be like, well, the whole idea is to reform the thief. No, absolutely not. Why would you want to reform a thief? You just make them smarter. No. What has to happen is there has to be a regeneration. They have to come to Jesus Christ. They have to understand that they violated God's commandments. They have to understand that that's, that violation has put them in peril and in jeopardy of a burning lake of fire forever. And the only way to take care of it is to go to the cross where the shed blood can cover that sin and forgiveness is, ha- is had right there. That's it. Therein starts regeneration. Reforming means you're just telling the guy not to sin. Telling somebody not to sin is not the full way to do it. He says, but rather, in verse 20, he says, let him that stole steal no more. But here's the replacement. But rather let him labor, 
Now, again, it's not the fact that he just begins to work because he's got a job. I know a lot of people that worked that still steal. <laughs> One of the companies that I worked for, a guy was, 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 was arrested and went to federal prison because he embezzled millions of dollars from Rite Aid. And he was the CEO. And then he went out and started a real estate business after he got out of prison. Would you trust him? Probably not. But if all of a sudden he stopped you know, doing those things and he turned around after serving his prison sentence and did something like this where he was laboring and he took all his income and devoted it to someone else and gave in such a way not to benefit society but gave scripturally, that's the idea. The thief is the taker. The thief has to stop taking and has to start giving. Not just stop stealing and work. It's very different. It says, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. You know what that means? It means he's got to go out there and he he has to know who needs what. There's a distinct change. And then we get to the real subject matter that ties in with what we just talked about. In verse 29, he says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Sometimes that's all people are focused on. Not letting corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. And they don't say anything. Or the things they say are benign. Well, that's not sufficient. Because this is what God says. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. We actually have to get to a point of where we are ministering to other people with our speech. Human beings are good at tearing others down. Really good at that. Now look, I'm not talking about sometimes where, you know, you got, you know, uh, various different disciples and people calling people out saying they're evil persons or they're, uh, you know, you're your father the devil as Jesus said to the Pharisees and called them vipers and hypocrites and so did John the Baptist and various others and things of that nature because what they're doing is they're revealing a par- problem with the heart. But I'm talking about something that is, is truly ministering unto a person that's going to help them, not hurt them. And again, we see that this is where we actually grieve the Holy Spirit of God with what we say in verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Something we need to remember. Yes, you're saved unto the day of redemption, but you still need to make sure that you don't make God grieved with what you say. And again, it's not about shutting the trap. But it's about saying the right thing. God gave us a mouth and a tongue and the ability to communicate for a reason. For a reason. Real change in that venue, the mouth, will come when there's a change in the heart. In verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, 
Evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Those are the things that dwell in the heart. Those are the things that wind up laying there and, you know, people holding on to them that cause them to say things that they shouldn't say. And it says in verse 32, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. That should always be the communication. That should always be what people want. They want to make sure that they are kind, tender-hearted, and communicate forgiveness. I mean, isn't, aren't we glad that God was very kind to us? That He has been more than tender-hearted to us? Dare I say, long, 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 long suffering, forgiving us? He didn't have to. He could have just wiped us all out. But God, being who God is, said, no, I'm not going to do that. So we see there's some distinct changes that are there. <clears throat> so again, I, I mentioned this to talking about this corrupt communication part, because sometimes people will want to enter into what is referred to as restraint. Restraint is not the same thing as change. Restraint is not the same thing as change. Just because somebody restrains words from coming out of their mouth does not mean that there's actually a change in the heart that is going to produce the things that are good to the use of edify, that they may administer grace unto the hearers. So restraint is not real change. You're holding something back. But there's only so long you can hold some things back, right? Before you get tired. Restraining sin is not the same thing. When you start looking at what restraint is versus repentance, there's a big difference. Restraining sin means that you're simply holding back, but it's still there. Repentance means that you've turned away from it and you said, I want nothing to do with it. I want everything to do with God. That's what repentance is about. Repentance is about forsaking sin. Forsaking sin. That means whenever the subject of that sin comes up, you run the other direction. Whenever that subject of sin comes up, you're like, oh, no, mm mm-mm, and you're gone. You forsake it. You walk away from it. You, you, You will abandon it. It's more than just, you know, shunning and acknowledging that it's still there. No, you, you don't want it. You realize that you forsake things every single day. Every single day you guys forsake things. Do you not put stuff in the garbage? You forsook it. No longer of use to you. You throw it away. Some of it goes to the dump. Some of it goes into a burn pile, whatever it may be. But one way, shape, or form, you've forsaken it, and it's no longer part of your life. It's gone. It's gone. Could you imagine that? There you are, and you have something that you enjoy. 
let's say for some strange reason you're just, you know, absolutely enamored with this ice cream sandwich. One of those Eskimo bars. You remember those? And you're like, oh, I want that. And you eat the Eskimo bar. How many of you save the wrapper? How many of us throw it away? Wouldn't it be absolutely ridiculous that come trash day, you run out there to the waste connections guy and you're beating on his window as he's just dumped your trash can? I need to get my Eskimo bar wrapper out of there. That's how we have to treat sin. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't go that direction. It was forsaken. It was thrown away. So the same thing has to be present when we start realizing what real change is. We have to forsake those things that are going to cause us uh, um, the, the, the sinful actions, sinful behavior. We have to forsake them in our heart. We have to say we're not going to want them there. Let's go back over to the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 19 this time. <clears throat> you know, Matthew has got a lot of doctrinal stuff that talks about the kingdom of heaven. But at the same time, it's got a lot of stuff that is just some practical ways to live this Christian life too. And, and it's amazing to see how, how, this, how this works. In Matthew chapter uh, 19... Matthew chapter 19, <clears throat> take a look here at 16, verse 16, Matthew nineteen sixteen. He says, and behold, one came and said unto him, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God, but if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, <coughs> Excuse me. I'm going to stop there just for a moment. We're not going to get through all of this, but I want to point something out. Isn't it kind of odd that God would, that Christ would respond this way? Yes, he says, why callest thou me good? So I want you to see exactly what's happening. This person has seen Jesus Christ do something to other people. He views that as good. That's why he called him good. He wasn't viewing Christ good as he viewed God's goodness. There's a big difference. Because you take a look at this here, and he says, in, in verse 17, he says, There is none uh, uh, good but, God, but one, that is God. Now again, he is referencing himself in this, because he is God. But one of the key things he's pointing out is he's saying, look, if you really want to know what good is, then it's about the goodness of God. It's not about this goodness that is demonstrated to man. The things that are demonstrated to man will be demonstrated if we are seeking God's goodness. That's just going to happen as a result of what we do with that relationship with God. Most people that come looking for a change, they're coming looking for a change because it's costing them something. It's costing them a relationship. It's costing them money. It's going to cost them time. It's going to cost them whatever it may be, right? That's why they come looking for the change. 
But if a person comes looking for change and they realize that in itself would be the selfish endeavor and says, well, I want to change to follow the goodness of God because that's what God wants me to do. Then there's a different result. Because what happens? People will go follow that and they'll do that change just long enough so that they can keep the relationship. And then once it's done, they forsake the change. Temporary. They come and they, they, they seek that change and you know what winds up happening when it's, uh, it's about money or something that they're going to lose? Let's say it's a bad habit. Let's say somebody's spending $600 a month on gummy sharks. <laughs> and they don't have $600 a month to spend on gummy sharks. Okay? I use that as a simple example, a foolish one. Because that's generally how foolish sin is, by the way. And the end result is they want to get to the point of where they're financially stable and they're not having to worry about spending $600 because they could spend that $600 on something else they need. They want to change, but again, it's, a, it's, it's that lateral change. It's the horizontal change we should, with, with how we interact with people. It's not the vertical change that happens with how we interact with God. And here is Jesus Christ pointing that out. He's saying, look, you call me good? He's like, you don't even know what good is. You don't even know what good is. Why is that? Because as he began to outline it for him in the rest of this, and we'll pick this up next week, you find very clearly when it came to having that relationship with God, he professed to have it. But it hadn't made enough of an impact in his life that when God told him to do something that was going to be very hard, that that change would take take hold, that it would actually remain. He, he wound up walking away from this situation sad. Sad. It says there in verse 22, he went away sorrowful. Why? Because he was more focused on the physical than the real relationship with God that he was professing to have. And we will take a look at that, Lord willing, next week. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. <clears throat> we'll come back to that. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. Thank you again for what we've learned here. And Lord, uh, I just pray that uh, as we found this stopping point right here, right now, that Lord would reflect on the things that we've already learned, reflect on your word, reflect on your scripture. And Lord, uh, there's going to be times in our life that we are faced with a, a real change that needs to take place. And whether it's uh, a conviction from the Holy Spirit that shows us as we're reading our daily, um, reading our Bible daily or something that happens in a church service or something that comes with a rebuke from a friend or whether it's uh, that uh, direct, um, if you will, Lord, uh, you know, indication where we have to have a prophet Nathan come in and say, thou art the man, that, Lord, we would realize we need to get some change made in our life. I pray, Lord, that as we continue to look to this, that the one thing that would be central to all of it would be that relationship with you. That no change is going to take place 
unless we increase our love for you more and more each day, our knowledge for you each day, and grow in you more each day. That no change, Lord, will be pleasing to you unless that happens. Thank you again, Lord, for those that are here tonight. Pray you just uh, protect us and keep us safe as we go home and bring us back uh, safely for Friday night for the youth and then Sunday for our main services. Again, Lord, I just thank you for all you've done for us. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.